while back, Eric Neeson, the director of student services for Norwalk Schools, and Holly Saline, our city library director, approached the Ministerial Association at one of our regular meetings to let us know about a need. There were parents of English language learners, students in our school system, who themselves wanted to learn English. All these parents were women, all refugees from Somalia, and all lived in Norwalk. These parents wanted to be able to talk to their kids' teachers, help with their homework, talk to the doctor at the Unity Point Clinic or the cashier at Fairway. They wanted to be, well, they wanted to be like every other resident in Norwalk, Iowa. But they work long days. They can't make it to the adult English language learning programs that were in Des Moines. They needed something in town if it was going to work. The school didn't know what to do. The library knew something needed to be done, but they didn't know what to do. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You I guess, talk to ministers. Well, we sat around, oh, what a good idea, what a good idea. And after learning about the need, I decided in the outreach committee meeting, I think in the parlor right there, to share with them the concern that was brought up. And here's what could have happened. We could have stopped right then and said a prayer. Dear God, please help these women learn English. In Jesus' name, amen. We could have complained to Eric and Holly, you know, I mean, it's nice of you to think so highly of us, but really you should be doing something. We could have just waited for another church to respond. After, after all, there was five to seven pastors in that room. But you know what did happen? These leaders said, well, you know what? We got some flexible time on our hands, and well, you know, I think we could do something. And so they did. Now, two to four times a week, our church members are in the church basement with refugee women from Somalia living in Norwalk, teaching them English. And it's really incredible what they've created. Never in, I'm going to cry, I knew I would, uh, in my ministry life have I been more proud of a group of leaders. Living out God's call on their life. And I have a question for you this morning. What does that story have to do with today's gospel? Now, seven years ago, there was a group of faith leaders. They were all a part of congregations that were members like we are of Amos, a mid-Iowa organizing strategy. They were having house meetings, small group conversations like we did a couple years ago. And in those conversations, in their churches, in their neighborhoods, they kept hearing stories about people needing jobs, about this gap between good employment and good jobs and people who should be able to find good work and employers who had lots of great jobs, but there was just this gap. Nobody was able to find the jobs, and the employers couldn't find the workers. And here's what could have happened. These leaders could have gathered around in a small group, held hands, and said a prayer, Dear God, please send these people jobs. They need work. They could have wrote a letter to the governor. Governor, you need to do something about these people needing jobs. But you know what they did? They began to have more conversations. They organized people together. They found out the stories of people who needed these jobs, real life stories. What are your obstacles, they asked them. Then they sat down with employers and heard from the employers, hey, what are your obstacles to finding good workers? And then they did some research. They visited other programs that that did job training, and they created a program that addressed that gap, that addressed those needs. They created Project Iowa. Project Iowa is still around seven years it's been going, and they trained over 1,000 workers in central Iowa for good, well-paying jobs that actually exist. And I have a question for you. What does that story have to do with our gospel today? 
Now, I could tell you more stories while we're talking, like about the church that started a lunchtime Bible study to help build community among business professionals because people were saying we're having a hard time finding the time to build community, to devote to our spiritual growth. Or there's the church that our family attended in New Orleans who created a women's and children's shelter. They heard that single homeless women and moms fleeing domestic violence with their children had no place to go in the city. So they devoted their old church parsonage to this shelter, and it was called Hagar's House. I can tell you about the elder of the church I served in Abilene who felt that, well, he thought the church should be praying for our members more. We really should be lifting up the names of the people we know and that we share fellowship with. And so what did he do? He started a weekly prayer group and led the church in prayer. Or the group of disciples leaders who believed that an innovative downtown disciples church was needed in Des Moines. And so what did they do? Well, they raised money. They found a core group of leaders and began a church whose primary mission was to reach out to LGBTQ plus people who've been harmed by the church in the past. And they created Downtown Disciples. It's been around for almost five years now. And by now, you're probably ready to ask me the question, what do any of these stories have to do with our gospel today? Well, I guess I could tell, I probably should tell the story of that time Jesus, well, sort of against his will, really. He was trying to find a quiet place, and this huge crowd of people, adults, children, everyone just kept following him, just following him around everywhere he went. And he was tired, and he needed a break. He needed, well, he needed some spiritual renewal time. Even Jesus needed a retreat. But the people needed him. And so for most of the day, he preached to them, as he often would do. He told them about the kingdom of God. He talked to them about what the world should be like. And then to show them what it could look like, he began to heal people from their sicknesses. He laid hands on them. He showed them unconditional love. And the people, well, they couldn't leave. They hung on every word. They watched these miracles being performed. The more time with Jesus, the better. But, well, it was getting late. It was getting dark. They were in a deserted place. That means there were no corner shops serving dinner, no markets still open. There was no food, and they were hungry. And the disciples, well, they were perceptive, these disciples. They looked around, and they could see that people's stomachs were growling. Their stomachs were growling. They saw the need, but, well, here's what they did. Well, here's what they didn't do. They didn't do a thing about it. Instead, they got in a little group and they started talking. Man, I wish Jesus would have shut up earlier. These people are hungry. How are we going to feed these people? We don't have food. They're they're getting restless. You know, they should have planned better. Yes, they should have. I brought my lunch. Why didn't they bring their lunch? Somebody should do something before they turn restless. And they went over to Jesus and they said, Jesus, the people are hungry. You really should do something about this. And Jesus said the same thing Jesus said to every one of those other people in those stories I told earlier. From the outreach committee to the leaders of Amos to that church in New Orleans to downtown disciples, Jesus said, well, do something. You give them something to eat, Jesus said. But we don't have enough food, Jesus. Well, what do you have, he asked. Well, five loaves and two fish. Well, now we're talking, Jesus said. Tell them to sit down. Now, the Gospel of Luke doesn't tell us where those five loaves and two fish came from. 
It's the Gospel of John that fills in the detail they came from a young boy. Regardless of where those five loaves and two fish came from, every account of the story that's in all four Gospels says the same thing, that everyone who was there ate, and everyone was full, and there were leftovers. How? I don't know. Maybe everyone was secretly hoarding their own lunch. And then they saw the generosity of that boy and thought, well, maybe I could share too. I like to believe that Jesus just started miraculously pulling loaves out of this basket from the boy, just loaf after loaf, fish after fish, sharing until there was more than enough for all. He enjoyed it so much, he just kind of got carried away, just pulling out extra loaves and extra loaves until everyone ate. However it happened, it happened. And it all began with what was already in their hands. And from there, Jesus took their gift and he blessed it. And he shared it with all the multitudes. So you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like. Well, it looks like a boy giving his lunch to feed others. It looks like people taking what they have and following Jesus as they create an ELL program for refugee women. As they create a women's and children's shelter. As they start a church for people desperately in need of a church. This is the kingdom of God. Our worship series is entitled, Come to the Table. But today, the table that we're invited to is different than most tables we normally find ourselves at. At the table today, we're not the guests, but we're the hosts. We're not invited to be served, but to serve. For we were hungry, we were thirsty, and Christ welcomed us to the table. Christ fed us, and Christ gave us this table so that we not only can be fed, but so that we can feed others as we have been fed. This is a table for service. You give them something to eat. That's Christ's invitation to the table today. So I have one more question for you. Well, three questions, really. What does this gospel story have to do with your life? What have you been given? What is in your hands and what is Jesus' asking you to do.